Well, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know we've been going through a a series in the book of Philippians, and today I was originally scheduled to be in Philippians chapter 4, and if you look at it, the message there was going to center on disunity in the church, and uh, I'm I'm praying that today that message isn't going to be needed next week, as we're going to be dealing with the uh, what the Bible says about homosexuality today. Now, uh, as you all know, I've been soliciting from the congregation questions about what would you like to hear a sermon on? And of all the topics that have come in, the issue of homosexuality has been number one to the point of five to one over any other subject. And I think the reason for that is what we see so much in our culture today, and it's only been multiplied by the events of this past week. As many of you know, the city council here in San Antonio is considering an ordinance this week on uh, gender identity and uh, what that can mean for our city and others. Now, I consulted with our elder board on Tuesday night about this, and we decided that it was best that I move that message up to this week so that we can address this issue. As so many in our church are saying, what are we to be doing? How, how do we go about dealing uh, with this issue as Christians in the community? And so today I want to talk about that. Now, um, I want to tell you that next week I was originally scheduled to be at Maranatha Bible Church in our pulpit exchange. So when you don't see me here next week, uh, it's not that I was afraid to come back. I was already scheduled uh, to be somewhere else. So uh, anyway, Rick Lowe will be preaching. I know it'll be great. So please be here and worship. Well, as I begin today, I want to Uh, Just talk about this container of salt. I'm I'm holding just what we would call common table salt. Now, chemists will tell you that this is sodium chloride. And what they tell us about sodium chloride is there are two elements. Sodium is a uh, a natural element that is very active in the form in which it is. It, It combines itself naturally with other things. Now, chloride or chlorine is a poisonous gas, as you know. If you've ever smelled bleach, you know it gives it that offensive odor. And when it comes to the issue today of uh, what we're talking about, we need to bring a balance of love and truth to the issue. And love and truth are just like sodium chloride. And what you see is that that love is, is like sodium. Without truth, it's flighty. It sometimes binds itself to anything. It's willing to combine with various uh, doctrines and forms or causes. But on the other hand, truth can be like chlorine. In its raw state, it can be offensive and even poisonous. When we talk about this issue today of homosexuality, God tells us that we are to come as salt and light in the world. In fact, Matthew 5.13 tells us we are to be the salt of the earth as Christians. And so as we approach this issue today, we need to deal with it both at the truth level as well as at the love level. We can't separate the two. So as you listen to this message today, I'm going to make an appeal to you. I don't want you to cherry pick any statement or one issue out of the message. You need to look at it in the totality of what we're talking about today. We're going to begin with the issue of truth. Now, you've heard me say before that the truth is like ice sometimes, crystal clear and just as cold. So let me start with the truth side that can seem very cold to some. As we look at what the scriptures say in the book of Leviticus, it tells us in Leviticus 18.22, you shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13 tells us, if there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act they shall surely be put to death. Now, as you look at that, some of you are saying, Roger, isn't Leviticus in the Old Testament? I mean, we're in the New Testament today, so we've done away with all that legalistic Old Testament stuff, right? What you need to think about when you look at the Scriptures is what God says about the Scriptures. Jesus Christ, who came and is our model and who is found in the New Testament, tells us this. Whoops. He says in Matthew 5, 17 through 18, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. You see, when you hold in your hand the Bible, that's the Greek word biblios. It means literally the book. And it's talking about how the 66 books that were written over thousands of years by multiple authors were all directed by the Holy Spirit to speak with one voice. One voice. 
And so we don't do away with the Old Testament for in lieu of the New Testament or vice versa. The scriptures are all together. Now, when we are dealing with the New Testament and what it says about this issue, and when I use the word homosexual in this sermon, I want you to understand I'm talking about lesbians. I'm talking about those who are bisexual. I'm talking about those who are transgender. So the LBGT movement, lesbian, bisexual, gay, transgender, all of that is encompassed when we talk about the word homosexual in this message. Now, this is what the book of Romans in the New Testament tells us in chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Now, as you're looking at what this is saying here in Romans, I want you to not separate this passage from the very next verses that come, because in Romans 1, 28 through 32, it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Now, men and women, did you find anything in there that applies to you? You see... Romans is not just speaking of homosexuality. It's speaking of all sin. And if you have done any of these things, you are grouped in with the homosexual in all that we are talking about. Now, just in case you haven't found your, your sin yet, First um, <laughs> Timothy 1, 9 through 10 says, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. For the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else, just in case we missed you, whatever else (laughs) is contrary to sound teaching. Corinthians continues, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators... Men and women who are heterosexual, that's you and me. If we are having sexual relations outside of God's covenant design of one woman and one man in a marriage relationship, we are a fornicator. Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're one who says, well, homosexuals will not inherit the kingdom of God, it says it right there in the scriptures. Men and women, do not cherry pick out your sins. Because God says sin is sin. Homosexual, heterosexual sin, if you're a liar, a thief, any other thing, a gossip, a slanderer, you are a sinner. Now that's bad news. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3.23. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous. No, not one. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. The homosexual is a sinner. But God has hope for us. Because as you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, the very next verse says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. God offers hope for the homosexual as well as the heterosexual sinner. If we will be those who come to Jesus Christ, when we come to him, our sins are forgiven. The ground at the cross is equal. All sin is sin, and all sin is punishable by death. And what Jesus says is, I came to die for you. 
I came to, to forgive those who are far from me. Because of God's great grace, he came to save us. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. Can a person be a homosexual and a Christian? Yes. Can a person be practicing the gay or lesbian lifestyle and be obedient as a Christian? No. Any more than a heterosexual who is outside of God's covenant design of one man and one woman in a relationship where that is the only place that the sexual uh, design of God is enjoyed is, can be practicing outside of that and still be in the will of God. God calls all of us as sinners to come to Christ. We're called to come to Jesus just as we are, but then we are called to change the way we live our lives to conform to his standard. So what is his standard? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ affirms what God said in the book of Genesis, the design of one man and one woman. He says, this is Jesus. Have you not read that he who created them, that is God, from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. As, as we look at this passage, this is God's design and desire. One man, one woman, and a covenant relationship of marriage. Now, men and women, again, if you are heterosexual and you are engaging in sexual relations outside of this, sleeping with a boyfriend, uh, looking at pornography on the Internet, doing other things, you are outside of God's design for the gift of sexual intimacy that he gave to us. Remember, Corinthians said if you're a fornicator or an adulterer, if you're somebody who's engaged in sex outside of uh, one woman, one man marriage relationship, then you are in sexual sin the same as a homosexual man or woman is in sexual sin. In Hebrews 13.4, God gave us his design and desire. He says the marriage bed is to be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. This is God's design and desire for marriage. Now, you keep hearing me say God's design and desire for marriage. Now, some of you are saying, you know, well, Roger, God made me this way. Okay. Have you ever read the story in Genesis chapter 25, beginning around verse 27? In Genesis 25, 27, you find the story of Jacob and Esau. They're two brothers, as many of you remember who were born, and, and as they grew up, there was this constant war between these two boys. Now, Esau was this manly man. He'd go out in the field and hunt, and, you know, he was, he was like a duck dynasty on steroids. This guy's out there. And, and so one day we read that Esau comes home. He's been out on an all-night, probably multiple-day hunting trip. It hasn't been great. He's, he's, he's hungry. He says he's starving. It says he came in from the field famished. He walks into camp, he's, he's just, you know, on his last uh, fumes in the gas tank, and all of a sudden he smells this wonderful pot of stew. And he, he walks into camp, and there's his brother Jacob. He's got this, this pot of stew going, and, and he walks in, and he goes, he goes, I'm famished, I'm starving, give me some of that. Now Jacob, you'll recall, the name means schemer. And this guy says, man, this is the bonus round. He says to his brother, you want a bowl of stew? Yeah, give me some. He goes, it's going to cost you. (laughs) Okay, what? Your birthright. Now, in the Bible, the birthright was something very special. You see, the birthright was given to the firstborn, and it had a whole bunch of things attached to it. The biggest was what was called the double inheritance of the blessing. When you died, I mean, when the parents died and daddy left the estate, the, the firstborn got double. And so this is a pretty costly bowl of stew, right? And so Esau says, what good is my birthright? I'm starving. I'm going to drop dead. Sure, it's yours. Give me some stew. So he gets it and he wolfs it down. He gets this this nice bowl of stew, a very expensive bowl of stew. Now, why am I telling you a story about a bowl of stew when we're talking about homosexual sin? Well, because this is what God says in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, 15 through 16, he says, See to it that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. An immoral person that has sexual sin connotation. He says, Men and women, see to it that you're not like Esau, who is trading a long-term blessing for a passing pleasure, a desire. 
You see, when I talk to, to men and women who are in the LGBT movement, some of them will say to me, Roger, God made me this way. I was born gay. And I know Christians who get off in the weeds and they start fighting about this scientific study and that and this and that. You can go there and waste your time if you want. I don't go there. I have my opinions. I know what I believe, that God made us certain ways, but I don't fight about those things. What I say to the person is, okay, you say that God made you gay. God made me as a heterosexual. And as a heterosexual, what that means is I like women. And when it comes to women, I have a desire. You see, hunger is a natural desire that God has given to us. Any baby that is born starts screaming and says, I'm hungry, feed me. That is a natural desire God has given, right? And sex is a natural desire that God has given. We have a desire for intimacy. Some say homosexual, some say heterosexual. So I say to the individual, okay, I'm heterosexual. I like women. I have a desire for them. However, God has given me a set of parameters to deal with my desires. Remember Hebrews? Keep the marriage bed undefiled. What that means is for the first 23 years of my life, I grew up liking women. I saw women. I wanted to be with women. I had opportunities. But I said, by the grace of God, no, I'm going to keep myself pure until the day I'm married. And by his great grace, I was able to. Some of you here were not. And God offers you forgiveness if you will confess that sin. But once I got married at the age of 23 to a very beautiful woman who's been my wife for the last 25 years, can I tell you something? Let me just confess something here. There are times that I have a desire for somebody who is not my wife. There are times I see a beautiful woman and there is a desire within me that screams out, fulfill your desire. And, and I can say, God gave me the desire, so okay. Or I can say, you know what? God gave me a desire, but he said, here are the river banks that you get to swim in. Here are the parameters that you get to fulfill that within. Hebrews 13, 4 says to keep the marriage bed undefiled. And so I have to choose to curb my behavior to fit God's design and desire for me. And whether you are heterosexual or homosexual, God says the same thing to you. He says, you have to curb your desires within the context that I've given. Remain pure if that's what it takes. Be celibate. Now, those who are within the homosexual community will say, but Roger, at least you can get married. At least you have a place to fulfill your desire. And really, that's all we're asking for. I mean, is that too much? We want to have a committed relationship with a man or a woman who we choose as our partner to be a lifetime monogamous relationship. All we're asking for is to fulfill God's design and desire for us. Men and women, I don't say this with a calloused heart, but you are not asking for that. You are not asking for that. Because remember, God's design and desire is this. Have you not read, he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said... For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. You see, as we deal with the issue of same-sex marriage, there's something that we sometimes forget. There's a man by the name of Odie Bachman, and this is what he says. One thing that seems to escape most people in this debate is the fact that homosexuals have never been denied the right to marry. Homosexuals have never been denied the right to marry. They simply haven't had the right to redefine marriage. He says, but don't take my word for it. Listen to what the Iowa Supreme Court said in their decision of same-sex marriage. If you're not aware of it, the state of Iowa here in the U.S. passed a law uh, saying that there could be same-sex marriage. And as they wrote the legal opinion, the justices, as they were defining the legal statutes and the parameters of what made this the law, this is from the opinion of the Iowa State Supreme Court. It is true that the marriage statute does not expressly prohibit gay and lesbian persons from marrying. It does, however, require that if they marry, it must be to someone of the opposite sex. Do you see that? It's not saying that a, a gay or a lesbian person cannot be married. It simply says that these are the parameters in which they can be married. 
Now, when it comes to the issue of marriage, you may not realize this, but marriage is the most restricted right in our nation. It should be noted that the right to marry is one of the most frequently denied rights we have. Now, what do I mean by that? If you are a married person, do you know you don't have the right to marry multiple other persons? That's called polygamy. And there are individuals that are saying, I should have the right to marry as many husbands or wives as I want. You're denying me equal rights because you don't let me marry multiple partners. There are those, forgive me for this, that are into bestiality that have actually sued for the right to marry animals. To say, I have the right to fulfill my desire with an animal. They're saying, you're denying me equality. There are individuals that say, you are denying me the right to marry minors. We have laws throughout the U.S. that limit the the age at which a person can be married. Adults can't come in and marry minors. That's a restriction. Where's the equality in that? And whether or not you understand this, if you are a heterosexual Christian here, God has put parameters on you and me and said you are not to marry certain people. Do you know what he says? Do not be bound together with an unbeliever. Do not be unequally yoked. God says that as a Christian man or woman, there are certain men or women you should not marry, a non-believer. Now, in past messages, we've talked about this, and we've seen that it's not that God is saying, I don't want you to have something good. What God is instead saying is, I want you to have something better. I want to save you from the hurt and the heartache that comes when you have a non-believing spouse and there's this war within the walls of your home over what are going to be the standards, who are you going to follow, and on and on. And what God is saying is, I have a design for you that is for your best. As we talk about what God says here, you're saying, okay, Roger, if I'm following you so far, what you're saying is we shouldn't be sexually involved unless it fits within the context of a one-man, one-woman covenant relationship as God defined it. Yes, that's right. That's what the scripture says. The only alternative to the marriage covenant between a man and a woman, one man, one woman, is celibacy, whether you are homosexual or heterosexual. As I say that, I know it hurts for some. I know there are those here that are saying, Roger, that's the death of a dream. Now, you can choose to go against God's design and desire for you. You can choose to be Esau. That says, I will give up the long-term blessings for the passing pleasure of a bowl of stew. Now, when I say you give up the long-term blessings, I'm not telling you that if you're homosexual that you can't be welcomed home into heaven as a believer in Jesus Christ. You can be. The scripture is very clear that if you are a person who has received Jesus Christ as your Savior, truly come to faith in him, that you cannot lose your salvation. But it also tells us you can lose rewards. You can lose responsibilities in the kingdom. You can lose the peace of God during your present life as you struggle with what does God's word say and how do I pick and choose and be disobedient at times. And so we're faced with a decision. Will we follow what God's word says as it is written? Or will we redefine it? Now, as I said, I know that those words hurt for some. And I'm sorry. I don't mean to hurt you. But I am not sorry for speaking the truth that God reveals to us. But what I do have to apologize today for is this. There are Christians. There are Christians who have spoken words that are not filled with truth and love. There are Christians who have said things that are hateful. We've all seen the Westboro Baptist Church type of people that parade these disgusting signs around that saying God hates this and that. No, he doesn't. You know what he hates? He hates that. And there are people who say things that are hurtful, that are meant to hurt. But what the scriptures tell us in Galatians 6.1 is it says, You who are spiritual, restore a sinning brother or sister in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Not yelling and screaming, not waving signs, but to go to them and say, you're in sin. And this is what God says to you. 1 Peter 2.17 says this to us. It says, honor or show respect for everyone. When we talk about homosexuality, men and women, may I remind you that we are not talking about something. We are talking about someone. Every gay man is somebody's son. Every lesbian woman is somebody's daughter. We are talking about people. 
who were created in the image of God. And our heart, brothers and sisters, should break with what breaks the heart of God. And what he says is, these are people that I love that are far from me, who have chosen to run away from me. And he calls on us to love them. Jesus said to love your neighbor as yourself. He goes on to say you should even love your enemy. Who's your enemy? He, he says in the scriptures, if somebody persecutes you, what are you to do for them? He says, pray for them. Don't pick it, pray. Share the truth. Pray that God would soften their heart. Now, when it comes to this issue of homosexuality, we are dealing with persecution in the world. You know, one of the things that came through in several of the emails or or written questions that came through, people said, you know, Roger, why can't we just live and let live? I mean, I don't want to be in the homosexual's bedroom. Why, Why do Christians worry so much about homosexuality? Friends, this isn't a bedroom issue. This is a societal issue. And remember, we are called to be salt We are called to be a preservative in a society that is decaying. If you think this is something that is relegated only to the bedroom, let me show you some news stories that are from just this past week. On August 22nd, 2013, if you're unaware of this, the New Mexico State Supreme Court says Christian photographers must compromise their beliefs. Now, what am I talking about? There was a situation where there were two photographers who owned a private business. Both the husband and wife were believers. And there was a same-sex couple that came to them and said, we want you to be the photographers at our wedding. And these individuals, these believers said, in good conscience, we cannot do this. They they said, we find a different photographer. Now, these uh, individuals went and found a different photographer, even at a cheaper price. And yet they turned around and sued these two Christian photographers for violating the discrimination or hate crimes law that's in place in New Mexico. This is the opinion, the the majority opinion written by the justices of this uh, New Mexico Supreme Court. Justice Richard Bosson wrote in the court's unanimous decision that the Christian photographers are now compelled by law to compromise the very religious beliefs that inspire their lives. That's not my interpretation. That is the statement. You are compelled by law to compromise the very religious beliefs that inspire their lives. Now, why? Well, this is what he says. At its heart, this case teaches that at some point in our lives, all of us must compromise, if only a little, to accommodate the contrasting values of others. There is a price, one that we all have to pay somewhere in our civic life. The Hugians, I probably butchered their name, have to channel their conduct, not their beliefs. Let that sink in. They have to channel their conduct, not their beliefs, so as to leave space for other Americans who believe something different. That compromise is part of the glue that holds us together as a nation, the tolerance that lubricates the varied moving parts of us as a people. We'll get to that one next. As you look at this issue, it's, it's not about tolerance. Th- these photographers didn't say, we're going to show up at your wedding and we're going to pick it and we're going to scream and we're going to say this wrong. What they simply said is, we are asking that you pick somebody else because our beliefs and convictions, and their words they said, do not allow us to commemorate and memorialize, tell the story of this ceremony because we can't agree with it. As artists, they said, we don't want to uh, be a part of this. And what the courts ruled is, they said, look, we're we're just asking you to change your conduct, not your beliefs. Men and women, our beliefs are what drive our conduct. The nation of America goes to war to fight for democracy and things in other places. Do we say as Americans that the, the beliefs of our nation should not drive our conduct and cause people to spill their blood? Do we as Christians read the scripture and we can separate our convictions from our conduct? If you do, that is not what the scripture is telling you to do. It says that our beliefs drive our conduct. Now, as you talk about this issue, this is what the ordinance before the San Antonio City Council is having ramifications for us in our city. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I've read it. I've talked to attorneys who have interpreted the ordinance. And these are the things that could be coming to San Antonio with this ordinance. And there are things that have already come to San Antonio because of decisions at the federal level. This is another news story from August 19, 2013, just this past week. 
Christian Air Force veteran relieved of duties for refusing to affirm homosexual marriage. The article says, in San Antonio, a Christian Air Force veteran has been relieved of his duties after declining to affirm homosexual marriage. Senior Master Sergeant Philip Monk has served in the Air Force for 19 years and has been stationed at Joint Base San Antonio Lackland, where when he recently returned from deployment, he found that he had a new commander who was a lesbian. Now, the article goes on to say that what happened was this commander in the, the chain of command, there was another airman under her line of command who had done a presentation, and in written form, he had, uh, he had uh, written this. Let me find it. In his presentation, he says, Despite our differences, it's the Air Force core values that unite us. And then he made a statement that said, I don't believe in same-sex marriage, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to train you the same anyway. This airman was not violating the, the chain of command. He was not violating any of the rules. He simply stated a personal opinion that I don't believe in same-sex marriage. Monk alleges that his commander then came to him and said, we need to lop this guy's head off. And then she said uh, this. She said, you need to be on the same page as I am. And if you don't, you will be moved elsewhere. She then questioned him on whether he believed it is discrimination for a person to state that they disagree with homosexual marriage. Monk replied that he did not wish to answer because of his convictions. Now, in the civilian world, that's called taking the fifth. At which point, he says, he was then relieved of his duties because he would not affirm the commander's beliefs. An attorney who is representing Monk on the case said, what have we come to? Are we now living in a world where the don't ask, don't tell applies to Christians, where we've asked the Christian to move into the closet that the homosexual community has been let out of? As you look at this issue, it's not just on our basis. I don't know if you've ever walked into some of the stores around town, some of the clothing stores, and when you go to the changing rooms, many of them no longer have a men's area or a women's area. They now have a unisex area. Because those in the transgender movement said, I'm uncomfortable with you saying I was born a man and I have to go into the men's room. I want to go into the ladies' area and vice versa. So many of them have said, we're just going to remove the distinction. California has passed a law that affects the public schools. In California, there is now a law in the books that says boys can go in the girls' locker room and girls can go in the boys' locker room if they say, I am a transgender individual. Because I'm uncomfortable as one who was born as a man walking into a men's room because now I believe that I am a lady more in my gender identity. What about the students who are uncomfortable with a different sex individual being in the bathroom or locker room with them? These are the ramifications as you read the ordinance that could come here in our city. It's a battle that has come into the church we all know about the denominational splits and everything over the issue of homosexuality. Uh, this is a story again from this month. Uh, in August 2nd, 2013, over in Britain, it says, UK homosexuals are suing to force churches to host same-sex weddings. Over there, uh, churches are still seen as at one level a state institution. And so they've said, we now want the church uh, to abide by the law. Britain... Uh, this is what the article says. A wealthy homosexual activist has decided to take legal action in order to force churches in the UK to host homosexual weddings, citing that he is still not getting what he wants. What is it that he wants? As you go on to read the article, it says that he wants to have the church wedding with all the trappings. Friends, the building doesn't bring God's blessing. And it goes even beyond the building. Because what he says in the article is, it's a shame that we have to sue Christians to accept us. This isn't about live and let live. It's about embracing and putting a stamp of approval on the lifestyle. And for those of you who want Christians and God to accept you, who are a part of the LGBT movement, may I say to you, God already accepts you. Read Romans chapter 5, verse 8. In Romans 5, 8, God says that he demonstrated his own love toward us, all of us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Jesus did not say to you, I love you this much or this much. He said, I love you this much. And he spread his arms wide on the cross and he had them nailed there to die for you and me, for the homosexual, for the heterosexual, for those who are in sexual sin and those who are slanders, those who are thieves, those who lie, those who do anything. Jesus said, I love you. I love you like you are. Come to the cross as you are today. But I also love you too much to leave you like you are. I want you to walk in obedience. I know individuals who are in the homosexual community that say, Roger, I am a homosexual, but I am washed and waiting. I am celibate because I have this desire and I understand God's design. As you look at what God calls on us to do, it is the same for the Christian as well as the non-Christian, for the gay as well as the straight. If you're a part of the LGBT community, I want you to understand that God accepts you. He will take you like you are. And if you're a part of Wayside Chapel and, and you're hearing that and you're saying, now wait a minute, Roger, lock the doors. I don't want them in here. It's too late. Because whether you know it or not, we have gay men and women who are among us. You know, there are some weeks I look out and I see, I know your stories. I have individuals, men who have come up and said I'm homosexual, women who have come up and said I'm, I'm in the lesbian uh, lifestyle. And I'm struggling with this and I'm seeking to be what God wants me to be. And I look out and sometimes I see these individuals sitting next to some of my most vehement people who are on one side of an issue or not. And there's almost a guilty pleasure when I go, if you only knew, <laughs> if you only knew who's sitting right next to you that you just shook hands with. I hope you feel welcome here. This is a welcoming church, but not in the words that the LGBT community uses. I had a lesbian couple come up one day years ago, and they asked me, Roger, is this a welcoming church? And I went through, and I said, yes, we are. We welcome, and I went through. And I said, but I know what you're asking me is, am I going to endorse your lifestyle? And the answer to that is no. But I will tell you this. I will never cherry-pick a passage. I will never gay bash. I will speak what God's word says. And when I talk about the sin of the homosexual, I will also talk about the sin of the heterosexual. And they said, we can live with that. As you look at... Well, please, no, please, thank you, but no. I, I, I want us to check our hearts on these things. Because as we look at our lives, we have to ask ourselves, do we see individuals as God sees them? Are we those who are, are saying what God's word says? I want you to know that this is a message of love. I know by preaching this sermon today that there will be people who say to me, Roger, you're a bigot, you're a hater, you're homophobic. I will get emails. This message will be on the internet. It will go beyond the doors of our church. I will be getting stuff over this message. And I want you to know this is a message of love. Do you know if I preached this very sermon word for word in Canada today that I would go to jail? That in Canada this is considered a hate crime and I would be in prison. There are pastors who go to jail simply for reading the passages of Scripture that we just looked at publicly. And so we live in a world in which there is tolerance for everything except for the Christian message. As Christians, we need to understand the message of the gospel is misunderstood. And so what we need to be doing as, as men and women who are followers of Christ is we need to begin with prayer. If you are not making this a matter of prayer, you need to get on your knees. You need to be praying for our city, for the ordinance that will be considered this week down in San Antonio. You need to be praying for our nation. You need to be praying for the world, for this issue. We need to be salt and light. Now, because we live in a nation where we can still stand up and speak at meetings or engage your representatives, I encourage you to do that. And yet, please hear this very clearly. You can look on the internet. You can find the meeting times as it stands right now. It's Wednesday at 2 p.m. at San Antonio City Hall. And what they're saying is that if you're for uh, the ordinance, you're supposed to wear a red shirt. If you are a believer and you believe this is a, a wrong ordinance or somebody who has another conviction and you're against it, you're to wear a blue shirt. So the council people can look out and say, uh, how many are here for or against? And some are saying, wear your, your city council number. So your representative can say, oh, somebody's here from my district who votes. If you're going to go down to City Hall, please hear this very clearly. If you cannot go to City Hall and speak in truth and love, then please do us all a favor and be silent. 
Do not bring a sign to wave that, that communicates hate. Go and exercise your right, but do it as a believer. Do it as a Christian who is speaking truth in love. If you can't do that, then stay home and pray. Stay home and pray. We've all seen what happened at the state capitol during the abortion protest where those who were uh, uh, pro-abortion were screaming, Hail Satan, as Christians were singing Amazing Grace. Don't do that. When it comes to what we are to do, Jesus Christ is our example. Now, let me just say this, because for some Christians, they've misunderstood Jesus and his example. They say God is love, and he is love. But he is also a God of truth and holiness and justice. And as a result, what he says in his word is that it is best that you represent me for who I am. You know, what happens is sometimes people will say that throughout the scriptures, Jesus welcomed and invited people. He ate with sinners and he went into their home and he did. And friends, I'll tell you something. I do too. I'm not going to name the friends I have in the LGBT movement because I don't want to cheapen that relationship. But for those who say I'm a hater or homophobic, I don't hate them. I don't hate those individuals. I'm not scared of them. What I, I love them enough to speak the truth, but I do it in love. And when you look at Jesus, he spoke the truth in love. Do you realize that Jesus drove a lot of people away from what he said? I mean, as you read the scriptures, he was always confronting the religious leaders. You know, you talk about preaching to your base. Jesus didn't get the political memo on that. He was always telling the religious leaders, you're a brood of vipers, you're whitewashed tombs, you're self-righteous, you're, and, hey, wait, I thought you were with us. And then when he was with the sinners, what did Jesus do? Say, I'm okay, you're okay? No. What Jesus said is, I love you, and I want to see you change. He called the Pharisees to repentance. Some of them did. When he healed the man at the pool of Bethsaida, what did he say to the guy? Uh, don't, don't keep going in your sin, change. When he, healed, when he forgave the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8, what did he say to her? Hey, you're okay, keep doing it? No. He said, woman, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. If you've never read the story in John chapter 8 in the Gospel of John, I encourage you to do so. We don't have time to cover it in its totality here, but let me just summarize what we find in that story because it's, it's the model for us as to how we are to live as believers. It doesn't deal with homosexual sin specifically, but it deals with sexual sin, and it applies to everything. If you've ever read the story, you know it says Jesus was teaching, and suddenly the doors burst open, and in comes a group of religious leaders, and they throw a woman down on the floor in front of him, and they say, this woman was caught in adultery, the very act. Now, I always try to picture the scene, and, and, and in my mind, it would be like Wayside Chapel right now. Suddenly, the back doors burst open, and in comes uh, a group of individuals, like from Westboro Baptist Church, carrying all their signs, because it says this woman, but you can imagine the language is a lot more colorful for what they called her. It says they caught her in the very act. Friends, they dragged her out of bed. She's probably still naked, barely covered with the sheet that they pulled off the bed and threw on her. She's brought in, she's flung right in the synagogue floor, right there in church. And so now we're all staring at her. And these guys with venom. This woman, this, she was caught in the very act. Now men and women, those religious leaders are a lot like us. Because what I find among some Christians is they're not so much concerned about the holiness of God as they are their own agenda. You know, the scripture tells us, that passage says they had an agenda. They didn't care about this woman. You know what she was? She was a piece of meat. The bait for the trap. What was the trap? They wanted to catch Jesus. So they bring him in here, this man of truth and love. Is he going to focus only on love and say, let her go? Because they said, the law of Moses says. Have you ever read what it says there in Leviticus? It says if a woman is caught in the act of adultery, she's to be stoned to death. But you know, they forget the part that says the man's to be stoned to death. Have you ever wondered, where's the guy? <laughs> they caught her in the very act. Where's the guy? So they throw her on the floor. And let me just say something to the heterosexual men here, those of you who maybe loathe homosexuals. 
Have you ever secretly looked at lesbian pornography online? Two women? That's homosexual. You're fulfilling your desire. I'll get notes on that one. (laughs) They throw her on the ground. Jesus, what are you going to do with her? Well, there's Jesus. He says, you guys know the law. He says, stone her. But, 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 just a minute. Whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. And then it says, he bent down, he starts writing in the dirt. Wouldn't you love to know what he wrote in the dirt? You know, this is my own inspired heresy, but I, I, I think what he... <laughs> I think what he started doing was writing some sins. Remember Romans? Liar, slander, gossip. And for those who really weren't getting the point, he starts putting little details, you know, that this guy starts going, he's talking about me. So these guys are standing there with the rocks just waiting to rain it down and kill this woman. And and it says that they, they start dropping the rocks one by one. And they start slinking away and disappearing. And there's Jesus, the woman. She's crying. She's scared. Her life's about to end. They're they're eye to eye. Jesus is in the dirt looking at her. Suddenly he looks around. He says, "Uh, woman, where did everybody go? Does nobody condemn you? She says, no. Nobody, Lord. And he says, well, neither do I. And I picture him taking her by the hand and he lifts her up. And he looks her in the eye and he says, now listen. Go and sin no more. Okay? God has a design and a desire for you and he he wants you to walk in holiness. Friends, that's what we are called to do as Christians. You see, what Jesus says is, I left heaven and I came to earth and I got down on your level in the dirt. And you know why? I got between you and the rocks. He says to me, Roger, you were deserving of the rocks. Remember all those sins? It says, brothers and sisters, what sin of yours is is worthy of death? All of them. And so what Jesus says is each and every one of us here is deserving of judgment, of death. And he says, I took your place. I stood between you and the rocks. I went to the cross and I let myself be nailed to the cross to die because I am a God of love as well as justice and holiness. And sin cannot be in my presence. And so I paid the penalty. I closed the account. I died for you. And now I want you to live for me. I want you to change your lifestyle. What what I say to to a homosexual man or woman is the same thing that I say to a person who is struggling in sin with their mouth, who's not conducting business in an appropriate way, who's, who's a man and a woman living together. I say, look, God has something better for you than that bowl of stew that you're chasing right now. And he wants you to live in this way. And I call them to holiness. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn them, but I do call them to holiness. And brothers and sisters, if you have a friend at school, a co-worker, a family member, that is what God calls us to do, to be salt and light, not to judge them, not to look down on them, not to hate them, but to pray for them. And to say to them even, you know, I'm, I'm kind of scared to talk to you about this because I know that you may call me homophobic or, or a hater, but I'm not. I love you too much. You know, if you were going down the street and you saw somebody's house on fire and you saw them through the big picture window enjoying a meal and laughing, would you just say, you know, they're having a good time. I don't want to bother them. Or would you stop and run up and bang on the door and say, your house is on fire. Get out. You're going to die. And that's what we need to do. We need to love them enough to say God has something better for you than a bowl of stew, fulfilling a short-term pleasure. And we call them to God's standard, to what God wants. And that applies to us as heterosexuals. If you are sleeping with somebody who's not your husband or wife, stop. If you're somebody who's running off at the mouth, gossiping or slandering others, stop. You fill in your sin. God says, I have a standard. And we all need to repent of our sin. And so I want to end today by calling us to that. 
I'm going to end with prayer. And as we do, I want you to look at your life today and say, is there something you need to repent of? It could be that you're a man or a woman who's in the homosexual lifestyle. And God calls you to celibacy. I know that's hard. I can't tell you to stop liking a man if you're a man or a woman if you're a woman, if that's how you feel. That'd be like you telling me to stop liking women like that. It doesn't happen that easy. But as I go to God and I say, help me walk day by day with you, he can help you to live a life of purity. If you're a heterosexual living in sexual sin, God calls you to repentance today. If you're somebody who has some other area of sin, hate in your heart for the homosexual, hurtful things you've said to another, God says stop. The word repent means to stop, to turn around and come to him and model his standard of love and forgiveness with truth. Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord God, as we come before you, we are all sinners. We are all deserving of judgment. We have all fallen short of your standard of perfection. And today, God, you know that there are some here, maybe, who are saying, God, I want to come home. I want to come to you, and and I need your help. I realize I'm, I'm far from you, and God, I've been in sin, but today I'm stopping. I'm making a commitment in my mind, and now will you help that to be true in my life, to turn back to you? God, today I'm saying that, that I'm far from you, and I need you, Jesus. I know you took the rocks for me. You, those nails were meant for me. The penalty of death was what I owed. And today, Jesus, I'm accepting your death in my place. I'm turning to you to be my Savior and turning from my sin. Will you help me to walk with you? Lord Jesus, many of us here have had hate in our heart and words that have not been honoring to you, and we repent of that today too. Help us to be those who show love, love to those who need it most. We as Christians will open our doors and and welcome the alcoholic and the drug addict and those who have had abortions and teenagers who are pregnant and others who are struggling with other sins, and and yet we've got our signs up. We're like the Pharisees throwing the woman caught in adultery at your feet, saying the homosexual is different, but they're not. And we confess that, God, we're sorry for what we've done. May we show your love to others. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Before we stand and close with this song, I want to give you this benediction from the book of Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it tells us this. And this is my prayer that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 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 Praise of God.